Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad you're here. If you're able, would you stand with us as we begin our time of worship through song together?
captive by the enemy. He had me thinking I was out of reach. But oh Jesus, mercy shut his mouth. I want crippled by the weight of shame. Good morning. Welcome to the Hawaii Community Church. This thing changes positions. Last service, it was so high I couldn't even see my announcements. Welcome. My name is Ian O'Meara. I'm the director of Community Life. 
Here at La Jolla Community Church, we want to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. How many people have their bulletin? Now, if you flip it open on the inside cover is our Connect and Prayer Request. I would tell you, it is a huge blessing having this prayer request because we, we get to pray for you throughout the week. We get to pray for you as a staff on Tuesday. And if you call this place home or you're just a visitor, we want to connect with you also. So this is so important to us because we're, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. We're going to take 15 seconds. There's pens in the seats before you. And you can we're going to fill these out. So please, take a moment to fill this out. Thanks for taking the time. I, from a personal experience with the prayer request, Pastor Steve, can I get that microphone? <laughs> that microphone I'm using does not like me. I have no idea what it is. We can pray for this thing. But just from a, a personal experience, prayer is so important. We're a church rooted in prayer that my neighbor, she was in the hospital. They don't know what's wrong with her. Her liver's failing. I send out an email. to the. I go to the website, ljcc.org, hit the prayer thing, send it out. And within 15 minutes, I'm getting, I'm getting emails from people saying, we're praying right now. That's what we're about. That's what it means to be rooted in prayer. And we want to be connected. That's why these, these little papers, you think, oh, I don't want to fill it out. But it's, it's really important. It's a really opportunity for us to bless each other and to come closer together. We have a lot going on here. This morning, we had the Team Garrett run. Hold on a second. Give me some. Uh, I was the uh, fastest penguin wearing sunglasses over 40, born in November. And they gave me this medal. <laughs> actually, they gave these. That's a lie in church. They gave them to everybody that actually crossed the finish line. It was a great event. Team Garrett is doing amazing things. They raised over $100,000 since their inception. This time they raised over $11,000 for a clinic and for the foundation. It's an amazing thing. There was 60 people there all running in the humidity, and it was, it, everybody was having fun. It was a great event. Well, next Sunday is our family service. We're going to do a family service. We're going to get together. I know sometimes we think, oh, you know, we're multi-generational, but we're not multi-generational. We are intergenerational. Old, young, tall, short, it doesn't matter. We come together because we all play a part in the body of Christ. We're a family. It's an opportunity to get around that dinner table and just be a family, and better yet, to worship the Lord together. So that's going to be next Sunday. And as a bonus, there's going to be an amazing speaker. He just finished a, a very quick race in a penguin suit. He's going he's gonna to bring the, the last and final at, uh, part of our Renew series. So I encourage you to be here. If it's birth through first, they're going to have regular programming. All the second and above, they're going to be in here for the service. We'll save the date for our fall kickoff, which is September 9th, and it's going to be after both services. Now, this is going to be an amazing event because the church is turning 13. Well, so we're going to have a brunch. We're going to have baptisms, but better yet, we're going to have tables out on the grass here, and we're going to be able to get together and sit around and eat and fellowship with each other after the services. It's going to be a great event. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. We're going to have a jumpy for the kids. It's going to be an amazing time, but you got to be here to experience it. If you want more information, these are just the top things going on. Go to the website at ljcc.org to find out more. You're going to get a lot more of what's going on now and what's coming up in the future. At this point, I'm going to invite Pastor Steve up. Well, if you're visiting, uh, I just want to re reinforce what he said, that we are the home of the preaching penguin, and it's a really big <laughs> status to have uh, you here again, and so thank you. And uh, we want to be a praying church. Why? Because God wants to uh, do a work in us, and as we open our hearts and minds to him in prayer, he does his work. Why do we read the Bible? So that we know how to pray better, actually. Why do we read the Bible? Because we know how to listen to God better, actually. And so prayer is not a, a sort of a out there sort of a thing. It's a core aspect of who we are. And we pray in so many settings here. In life groups, we pray uh, spontaneously. Uh, when we see people who say, hey, I have a need, would you pray for me? We have a prayer garden. I invite you to go out there afterwards and people pray for you after the service. And right now, I simply want to guide us in a prayer. It would be me doing most of the talking, so to speak, and the praying. But I'll give some breaks for you to pray. You can pray out loud if you like or pray silently. But let's just... Uh, 
take the next few moments to be simply in the presence of God uh, to let him prompt us in terms of what he is calling out of us, the kinds of prayers he's calling out of us. Turn your worries into prayer. Turn your anxiety into prayer. Uh, turn your confusion into prayer. Turn your problems into prayer. So join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a gift it is to be in your presence. Uh, we know you're here because you said that you gather where people are gathered in your name. And so we've come not to a building, uh, but we've come into your presence. And in this building, in your presence, Lord, we simply want to uh, recognize uh, your lordship, uh, your goodness, your greatness, your compassion, your care for each one here, whether they know you or not, whether they're familiar with your word or not. And so, Lord, we give you glory and praise, simply recognizing the magnificence of who you are. And as we do that, Lord, we become uh, overwhelmed with awe and wonder. And so as we praise you, Lord, we also confess our absolute need for your absolute grace. We confess that we've tried to figure things out on our own. We've tried to be our own moral authority. Uh, we've tried to answer all the difficult questions in life uh, through our own means. And so now, Lord, we confess we need your wisdom to be discerning. We need your word to be wise. We confess that uh, we spend more time managing our image than simply acknowledging our absolute deep need for you. And so in these next few moments, uh, we confess to you. Lord, you tell us in your word that when we confess our sins, you forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That you set our sin apart uh, as the east is from the west. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are forgiven, uh, that we are made new uh, and, and clean and pure in you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for the freedom that you give us as we learn to walk with you. Uh, we thank you for the courage you give us as we face life's great challenges with you. We thank you for the compassion that you call out of us as we start to see people as you see them. Lord, thank you uh, for the opportunity to learn your word and to apply it in every aspect of our lives. Thank you for the work that you give us or the work that you're preparing us for. Thank you, Lord, for the friendships we have through you and in you. Thank you, Lord, for those people you've used to bring us to a saving knowledge of you. Thank you for those people who uh, love us enough to confront us and for those who love us enough to comfort us. Thank you for those who guide us patiently. I thank you for, Lord, bringing those people into our life that you want us to lead and guide and pour our lives into in your name. So, Lord, we thank you for the, the gift of being fully alive because of your abiding presence. And so, Lord, we also, given this incredible gift you've given by us by being in us through your spirit. Uh, we want to pray about those needs that are closest to our heart. And so hear our prayer, Lord, as we pray for the needs that we see in us and around us. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. Uh, may this prompt us to continue to pray uh, throughout the service, uh, following the service, throughout the week, uh, praying on our own, praying with uh, uh, people that we are in community with, inviting uh, people to pray for us. Lord, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And from the fullness of your grace, you are blessing us with every blessing. Uh, thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, what a treat it is to have Ben Patterson here. Uh, ben is the second wisest person in the world. Uh, the first being Loretta, sitting next to him, his, his wife. Um, when I was a young pastor just weeks ago, uh, I, uh, I came out of Fuller Seminary and moved to Orange County, moved to Newport Beach, California, and, and I was a pastor there. And it was all new to me, and I met Ben. And Ben was such a great encouragement. He was super busy and started a church called Irvine Presbyterian Church. Uh, and and uh, Ben was just one of those guys that affirmed my call to ministry simply by being the kind of person that I thought people in ministry were supposed to be. Uh, one of the things that made me super nervous about being a pastor was all the crazy things that pastors do or don't do. And even that whole pastor voice thing, and so, you know, they, don't, they didn't talk like normal people for some reason, and, and it was very awkward being around pastors, and here's God calling me to be one. I thought, this is not going to go well, but I knew I was supposed to do it, and meeting Ben really made me realize, you know, we can be free to be really who we are, and God uses that in wonderful ways, and so Ben was a great role model for me, and uh, as a pastor, he's certainly been that for leaders across the country, leaders in business and in all kinds of uh, disciplines. But for the last uh, long time, and most recently, the last 17 years in Santa Barbara, California, in Montecito at Westmont College, he's been an incredible guide and role model uh, for college students. And I thank God that he raises up people like Ben who can speak God's word in creative, compelling ways to the generation that you and I are going to be depending on and that many of you here represent. We need people who are knowledgeable of God's word so they can be wise in God's ways. And Ben has been the epitome of that. He is good theology uh, embodied. He is, is he's wisdom and discernment and, and, and humility and confidence uh, personified. And so I thought, what better person to come speak to us about work besides the fact that, that uh, he wrote an incredibly great book on work and I wanted to have it the opportunity for you to hear him talk about something that is so important to us because we spend so much of our time doing it. So please welcome Ben Patterson. Yeah, I don't have much of a pastor's voice, and so it's really... <laughs> yes, <clears throat> Carlton Heston on here. Uh, love your pastor, and uh, we, we share so much in common. I, yeah, but I, I think we get to be with Jesus. That's, that's it. That's the big thing. Johnny Cash back there? <laughs> and, uh, but then to get with people who are uh, such encouragements and are so much fun to be with. And Steve, uh, thanks for asking me to come up here, down here, well, whatever, north-south, we're up in Santa Barbara, and uh, talk about work. Um, uh, what do you work at and what works on you as you work? Uh, how do we renew our work? And uh, the scripture has a lot to say about that. And so much to say that it was really hard for me to kind of land on a good text that, that would help us kind of connect with everything else the Bible has to say about work. I uh, had a friend who was uh, preaching at a, uh, visiting and preaching at a church and it was a very sleepy congregation, and he said when they, he, he opened in prayer, prayed a little bit, he, he, you know, people were falling asleep. And he remember his thought was, oh my gosh, I got 30 minutes to raise the dead. And <laughs> now, I don't feel that here, but I do have 30 minutes to, well, explain something and encourage you in a direction that is so incredibly uh, beautiful and, uh, and transforming, both for you personally and for the world you live in, and that's the renewal of your work. So uh, I, I have a text, uh, I have a tune, and I'll go back and, and teach on both of them. Now, I that's a nice little alliteration, text, tune, teaching. And I came up with it about 40 minutes ago. And I, uh, although the outline is, I didn't come up with that. I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time. But anyway, let me start with a text. And uh, I, you're gonna, I want you to hear it first. Uh, most of the Bible was written to be listened to, and, uh, and it's good also to read it, but to let it come in through your ears. Then later on in the uh, teaching part, I'll come back to that text, and it'll be up on the screen so you can see it with me. But the uh, text, and this is one of those few places you can go in the Bible, uh, 
No, actually, there are a lot of places you can go in the Bible where you, it just relates to everything. It, maybe you know Aspen Groves or Aspen Stands. You know, they are one organism. There might be 500 trees, but they are all connected by the same root system. And, and the Bible's a lot like that. Jesus said, the whole thing's about me. So that, we get the Lord's uh, imprimatur on that one. But uh, this is one of these passages where it really does connect us with everything important the Bible has to say about work. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it to you, okay? Just listen, and we'll come back and look at it. But it's from Colossians chapter three, verses 17, 23, and 24. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. That's the word of the Lord. I have a tune. I ho, I ho. It's off to work we go. We work all day and get our pay. Hi ho. Well, all the older people know exactly what I'm singing about. But this was written in 1937. It was the Song of the Seven Dwarves. And uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And what made it so significant, and, and it really caught on, and for years people have been whistling it and singing it, uh, was that it was written right on the heels, the, the end of the Great Depression, a time when there was massive unemployment. Uh, the economy was in a shambles. This isn't the first time, you know, although we're, we're struggling with an economy, but this was a terrible time. My father was raised during the Depression, and he knew what it was like to stand in line to get a, get a meal. He knew what it was like uh, to put cardboard in his shoes so that the hole wouldn't you know, leak water back into his feet. I mean, he knew what it was like to be deprived. And so my dad grew up, he was so glad to have a job, any job, that just something he could, he could earn, he could pay for what he needed, he could support his family. My dad uh, was indiscriminate in his appreciation of work. He was one of those seven dwarves. It's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. And, and he did it for his entire life that I knew him. My earliest memory of my father, Really, my earliest memory. I was born in 1942, so it was before my. So I, I had to be two and a half. But World War II is going on. My dad is working double shifts at North American Aviation in, in L.A., uh, building bombers. And uh, my dad's—he'd be on his feet so long that his feet would bleed. So I had this this very early memory of my mom washing my dad's feet because he was working so hard. And uh, that's. That's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And, and maybe that's the kind of tune that you hum or kind of live in your work. But there are other tunes. Now, uh, it was, it's been a few years now, but I saw a bumper sticker that was just a bit of a twist on that. It was I-O, O-W-E. <laughs> I-O, it's off to work I go. That's not quite the same uh, romantic idea about work. And that has to do with consumer goods. It has to do with uh, just the necessity to do what you may hate doing, but you have to do it so you can pay your bills. And then there you know, there's songs that I can't quote right now, like Johnny Paycheck's song. Take this job and you know what he said, you know, on that one. Uh, so there, work can be a very ambiguous thing. When I got done with that, my message, the first service, one guy walked up to me and says, gosh, Oh, that was a good message. I, I just, I love my job. You know? <laughs> I said, well, you didn't need what I said. I said, oh, yeah, I did, I did, I did. But so anyway, whether you like it or not, uh, work can be an ambiguous thing. And I do think, as uh, working with students for really about 25 years of my life, I've spent most of my ministry with 18 to 22-year-olds who, uh, who experience great anxiety about work. And is it, can, I, can I find a good job? Can I find a job that fulfills me? No, probably not. But on that one, <laughs> but that's, that's worthwhile. Well, okay, it can be ambiguous. And Studs Turkle, that's his name, uh, wrote an oral history of work, which I highly recommend, it's still in print. And uh, out of all the interviews he did with work people, he had this to say, 
This book, being about work, is by its very nature about violence. To the spirit as well as to the body. It is about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting matches as well as fistfights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It is above all, or beneath all, about daily humiliations. To survive the day is triumph enough for the walking wounded among the great many of us. That's Turkle. Uh, slightly shorter version, William Faulkner, the novelist. You can't eat for eight hours a day, nor drink for eight hours a day, nor make love for eight hours a day. All you can do for eight hours is work, which is why, or which is the reason man makes himself and everybody else so miserable and happy. <laughs> and then there's a Scottish philosopher I like, Thomas Carlyle, very succinct, as a Scotsman can be. He said, there's nothing worse than activity without insight. So I want to let the scripture speak to all of us who may be very active or sort of active, but really needing insight as to why we do what we do. Now, I mentioned this passage. I just quoted it to you. I want you to see it now. And again, it connects us with everything important that the Bible has to say about work. Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 and 23 to 24. Let me read it to you now. You look at it. And whatever you do, that's the first big word here, whatever. Everything. Come back to that. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name, second important word, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The word of God. Now, there are three words here I want us to think about for a while. Whatever, name, and reward. Whatever you do, which is another way of saying everything you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, everything, really. Now, there's a little thing I would do with students at Westmont for uh, 17 years, and we have a former students, and uh, I would begin every semester with this little, actually it was a sort of a riff on uh, Thornton Wilder's play, uh, Our Town. It's how Emily would address her textbooks. So I'll just do it with you. Uh, say, where, where are we right now? Say, well, we're in La Jolla, California, North America, Western Hemisphere, planet Earth, Solar System, Milky Way Galaxy, Universe, Mind of God. What's your address? Well, the scriptures viewpoint on this when it says, whatever you do, in other words, everything you do, where do you do it? Everything that you do. Get the big picture. You do it before the very face of God. That's a term that the 16th century reformers like to use to make this point. It was two Latin words, corum deo, corum, face of God, deo, God. In other words, all you do, where do you do it? Watch, where do you work? Come on, now get your mind going here. Where do you work? You work on God's earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, so much of our failure to understand our work is that we're, it's the failure of imagination. I don't, and by that, I don't mean an inability to, to, to make things up. I mean to, to start visioning your address. You do it in the presence of Almighty God. There is no sacred secular division in scripture. It's all God's, which makes it all sacred. 
So this is a sort of a sacred place. Uh, you walk into this room, you behave a bit differently. Uh, you, 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 know, you're, you, you don't expect the same things. You might get other places. But, but you know, just being in a building like this makes you kind of tune into certain realities. So Paul would write to the, uh, to the uh, um, Corinthians. Uh, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So you walk in here, and what you see reminds you of what you don't see. And what Paul is urging, even commanding, Christians, is when you go to work, fix your eyes on what you probably don't see. As Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, for what we see is temporary, what we don't see is eternal. So, how do you renew your work? Get clear on where you work. You work on God's earth, in his place, on his planet, all in his presence. Now, this is one of these <laughs> illustrations. I, I hope it's true, but if it's not true, it should. Uh, now, you, you, you musicians probably know whether or not it's true, but, I, but I'm told that Beethoven, you know, uh, the great composer, uh, someone knocked on the door one day at his house. It was... He thought, oh, that, that, that would play. Fifth Symphony. And it's a brilliant, you know, meditation musically on just da 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 da. Well, for the Christian, this is where we start. It's all God's. There's not one corner of the universe, not one space in your life that God doesn't lay, that Jesus doesn't lay his hand on and say, that's mine. And he invites us to be grateful for that. And see, everything we do is an opportunity do something in his name. That's the second big word here. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, which means do it as a representative. When you do something in someone's name, you're saying, I'm, I'm acting according to this person. Uh, it, it, it's just another way of saying God made us in his image. In the ancient Middle East, when uh, the image of a God was put someplace, it meant that's the God's place. The image of an emperor or a king was put someplace. The image represented the authority of the god or the emperor or the person it stood for. When God said, let's make humans in our image, he's saying, let them be our reps on earth. Everything God has to say to Adam and Eve, he's saying, you will, you're supposed to show and act in the creation as one who stands for what I'm about. You're made in my image. Do it as unto me. Now, again, this is where so much of our failure to understand work uh, is just because we, we don't need to get our imaginations to work here. Again, not to make up stuff, but just to start visualizing the fact that what you do, you do in the name of the Lord. What's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> Hallowed be thy name. So, People let this grab hold of them. It, it just changes everything. You, you, I'm sure you've heard of Brother Lawrence. This, uh, I think he was a 14th century uh, monk who, was, uh, who had the worst job in the monastery. It was scrubbing pots and pans every day. And there were a lot of pots and pans to scrub. And he wasn't really bright. Uh, he didn't have some of the more important jobs. And he resented for years the fact that the job he had in the monastery was doing the dishes every day. And it was hard work. Uh, but he overcame his resentment when he began to realize that Jesus is here. Oh, yeah. I made in his image. He's here in the kitchen with me. And so he wrote this classic book, you know, uh, called Practicing the Presence of God. It just described what he did. Started, he started talking to Jesus as he did his work. And he said over time, uh, he felt as close to the Lord uh, in the kitchen as he felt at the communion table. Christ was no more present. And by the way, this is a Catholic who's saying this, who have very, uh, very exalted views of what uh, the Eucharist means. But he said, yeah, it was the same. It's the same Lord. He's here. You know, we, we, we used to have trouble getting our kids to listen and pay attention when we'd have them pray. 
I wait and pray and try to get them to pray. And we had three sons and then a daughter. She's perfect. Uh, <laughs> but the boys, you know, they, they just like to screw around. And, uh, and finally, someone told us you could, you could do this with them. Uh, and we, we developed a litany. And I do it now with everybody. Uh, we'd say before we pray, Jesus is here. And then they'd respond by saying, Jesus is here. I kind of, oh, I guess he is. Maybe I should stop poking my brother while we pray. Well, you know, it's kind of heavy-handed. But you know that it's stuck. And so I do this all the time. I'll say it to you. Jesus is here. And you can say? Jesus is here. Oh, they're good, Steve. They're good. Man, they're liturgical. And then, but this is the whole idea of doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that happens, it transforms everything. Everything. Charles Spurgeon, he said, Make your heart right with Christ, and he will visit you often. And go turn weekdays into Sundays, meals into sacraments, homes into temples, and earth into heaven. He's already there. Just acknowledge that. Uh, a great story. I love this one. I, I haven't, I'd love to tell the story. Again, I hope it's true. <laughs> but Ignace Jan Paderewski uh, was for centuries, centuries, for years, uh, prime minister of, uh, of Poland, and he was a virtuoso pianist. And the story goes that he was going to perform, and a mom had had her little boy learning to play piano. And she, she got front row seats in, in the auditorium, and they were waiting for Paderewski to come out. And the mom was talking to people around her, and the little boy, unbeknownst to her, walked out and walked up on the stage where he saw the piano. And the next thing she knows, she hears uh, a little kid playing chopsticks on the piano. Dun, 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 dun. And she was horrified, and she was about to get up and get him off the stage, and the master walked out. And he looked at her and said, no. He walked behind the little boy. Obligato. It was chopsticks. I give you chills. I'm having them right now. I'm experiencing chills as I think about that. It's so beautiful. And that's what God does to work. Do anything we do in his name. Aware of his presence. Uh, now, let, let, me, let me do a little poetry with you, all right? Stay with me. I won't do too much. Uh, you could do all the poems. Here we go. Listen to this. You're going to like it. Uh, George Herbert wrote a poem about work. Now, Herbert was a 17th century Anglican priest who wrote wonderful poetry, the, I think the greatest devotional poetry in the history of the church. Now, I like to say that because I'm just wanting somebody to tell me someone who's better because I'd like to know who this is. But he wrote a great poem about work. He called it the elixir. Now, in the 17th century, the elixir was one of the many words used for what they called the philosopher's stone. I mean, you know, Chemistry was birthed in alchemy, which was basically an attempt to find some substance you could apply to common things, you know, cheap things, and turn them into gold. So this, this was, scientists for a while, this was the early days of chemistry. They were really trying to find a way to make this old rocks turn into gold rocks, you know. So, you know, Herbert, you know, reflected on that. He said, ah, I got a great metaphor here. And it's this very passage I'm preaching on. He said, and here's, I'll just quote you a few stanzas. Stay with me. You'll like it. He said, teach me, my God and King, in all things, thee to see, and what I do in everything, to do it unto thee. A servant with this clause makes drudgery divine, who sweeps a room as for thy laws, makes that doing fine. This is the famous stone that turneth all to gold. For that which God doth touch and own cannot for less be sold. Too bad I quoted that to you. It's a longer poem. Go read it. But that's what Paul's saying here. You want your work to be renewed? Remember where you work. God's place. His realm. Uh, do it in the name, according to the character, presence of Jesus Christ. And finally, do it for the reward. Yeah, the reward. 
There's a payoff for this. In quoting Paul, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Now, frankly, I think anyone who's begun to experience what Brother Lawrence experienced, uh, a sense of his presence, it's just nothing sweeter. But, but God said, oh, I got more for you. There will be a payoff. An inheritance from the, the Lord as a reward. Now, the, the Bible uh, calls this hope. It's faith directed toward the future. It's saying, no matter how difficult it is now, uh, I'll hang in. Because I will be rewarded. What is that reward? <laughs> okay, I'm going to try. Give me a few minutes to try to talk about it. I don't, I don't think I, I, full, I don't fully understand it, but I, there's a couple of things I do get. Jesus said, those who serve him faithfully. Again, it includes pastors, but there's a lot more other people out there who serve him in their work. He said, they're going to hear this from me. Very poignant for me because I just retired from my work at Westmont. What's the payoff? I've done a lot of great things. This this is staggering. They will hear me say to them, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Now, come on, isn't isn't there in every heart here the longing? hear the one who is beauty and wisdom and glory and power and goodness look at you and say good job now enter into the joy sorry I tried that's about as much as I can do with that there's passages like this in Matthew where Jesus said and you know the righteous I really don't know what I'm talking about. I just believe it's true. The righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. What can that mean? Maybe you're thinking, well, it'd be enough just to work with you, Jesus. It'd be just enough just to know that this matters, but... Hope. Latin American theologian I like, he said, hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is the dance of joy. Our work. Our joy. Go home today and read the story of Joseph, last few chapters of Genesis. Uh, his brothers try to kill him, then he said, oh, I will sell him. So he gets sold into slavery, he goes to Egypt, he works for some noble in the Pharaoh's court. His wife has the hots for young Joseph. She tries to seduce him. He stands up, does the right thing, but then she accuses him of attempted rape. He gets thrown in jail. We don't know how long he was in prison. It was a long time. Laboring. Probably many times thinking, hell. You know the story. God took him out of prison, gave him wisdom that, that, that the Egyptians needed, that Pharaoh needed. There was a coming famine, and, and Joseph now is like prime minister of Egypt, and his family back in Palestine, the brothers who tried to kill him, they don't have food to eat. They don't even know if he's alive. They come down to Egypt to get food, and the guy who's going to has the power to give it to him or to withhold it is their brother, and they don't know who it is. 
What would you say if you were Joseph? It's you guys. You know the story. It's so good. He doesn't say, he, doesn't, he does not say, I'm glad all that other stuff is over. I'm so glad to be done with that. I'm not sure he was. But what he said was profound. He said to his brothers, when they found out who he was, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant good. So, Joseph, the reward here. God means it to be good. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you come to the end? There's a Jewish philosopher, friend here, explicit. I want to apologize for crying. Sweet. Uh, Abraham Heschel, he said something like this. He said, when I die, Sam falling through space or whatever the image he had, he says, I just, I'm just going to say, I can't, I can't begin to get at it, really. I just danced around it. Feel it? Okay. Well, I'll quote another Scottish philosopher. Wrap this up. Uh, Thomas Chalmers, he said, the grand essentials for happiness are as follows. There are three of them. Something to do. Someone to love. Something to hope for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Ben. We're going to continue our worship now. As uh, we invite the ushers to come forward as we receive our tithes and offering. This is for those that call LJCC home. This is our response to God. As everything is work. Part of the work is the, the beauty of just pouring into the, the ground and planting seed and, and seeing what will come from it. And we, we take these funds to see what God could do in his kingdom and what God could do in his kingdom here in La Jolla and beyond. And so exciting to see the partnership of what can happen as we partner together and do that as a church. If you're a guest, I encourage you to put your prayer request or your connect card in there as the baskets are passed. But let's continue to worship now.
put our focus on what we really need and where our focus should really be on Christ. This is the third week of our Renew series. And just to kind of give some next steps, we have our membership class coming up next Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. with Pastor Steve and myself. And one of the one of the the best parts of our last class, not, not only was it just the new members coming and just excited about LJCC and excited about what was going on, but there was people that have been part of this church for a decade, and they just wanted to renew, to just to hear what's going on and what is my part to play. So I encourage you, if you haven't signed up, sign up because it's a great time to sit around a table, hear the mission and the vision of this church and what God has called us to do here in this area. And have that conversation to ask, where do I fit? What part do I play? In closing our service, I'd like to invite Mr. Ben Patterson back up. Well, I want to say benediction. I want to say it, especially for your pastor and his staff. Uh, we've got good folks here. And Steve, Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine on you, men and women. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace, great wisdom. Love you, brother. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know you will receive a reward from the Lord as an inheritance. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Go do it.